Hello adventurer, and welcome to the Skyrim Book Club, the on-the-go solution for the busy adventure in Tamriel's coldest, far-reaching province. Let us collect the literature and lore of this great province for you and put it into a portable package so that you never have to stop fighting dragons, picking flowers, or stealing from shopkeepers when they aren't looking. With an ever-increasing archive, SkyrimBookClub.ca has got the story for you. Until next time, enjoy the book. Bone, Part 2, by Tavi Dromeo, Part 2 of The Invention of Bone Mold Armor. What do you mean the story gets more appalling? Gares was incredulous. How in Boethia's name could it get more appalling? It's a ruse, Ziomara scoffed, ordering two more mugs of grief and a glass of flynn for Gares. How much worse can a tale get which prominently features cannibalism, abuse of slaves, and the regular placement of rotting animal carcasses? Don't you dare dare me, growled Hoggard, annoyed by his listener's lack of appreciation of his prose styling. Remind me where we were. Oslik Owen is the owner of a stronghold under siege by savage, cannibalistic Nords, said Ziomara, keeping a straight face. After a lot of deaths and several unsuccessful attempts to get water, he had his armorer with the unlikely name of Gorkith outfit his slaves with the first ever bone mold armor. One of them finally makes it back with some water. It was only one jar full of water, said Hoggard, pulling back in his chair and continuing the tale, and Arslagon drank most of it, passing the remains to his dear armorer Gorkith and the last dribbles to the few dozen slaves who still lived. It was hardly enough to sustain health and well-being. Another expedition was necessary, but they had only one suit of bone mold left, and there was only one survivor of the trip. One out of eighteen slaves made it through the gauntlet of Nords wearing that marvelous bone mold armor of yours, said Arslik Owen to Gorkith, and one can only carry back enough water for one. Therefore, mathematically, as we have, continuing you and me, fifty-six remaining people at the stronghold, we need another fifty-four. Since we already have one, you only need to make fifty-three to make the total. That way, three will make it back, with enough water for you and me and whoever's in the best condition to partake. I don't know what we'll do after that, but if we wait, we won't have enough slaves to fetch even a couple days' worth of water. I understand, whimpered Gorkith, but how am I going to make the armor? I used all the livestock bones to make the first batch of bone mold. Arslik Owen gave an order, which Gorkith fearfully complied with, in eighteen hours. What do you mean? Arslik Owen gave an order, which Gorkith fearfully complied with, asked Ziomar. What was the order? All will be clear, smiled Hoggard. I have to choose what to reveal and what to conceal, such is the way of the tale-teller. In eighteen hours, Gorkith had fifty-three suits of bone mail, said Hoggard, continuing, not really minding the interruption, prepared for the slaves. Without prompting, he ordered the slaves to practice using the armor, and even allowed them more training time than their predecessors. They not only learned how to move and stop quickly in bone mold, but how to adjust their peripheral vision to see a blow before it came, and to sway to dodge, and where the sturdiest reinforcement points on the arm were, the center of the chest and the abdomen, and how to position themselves to take blows there against their natural instincts. The slaves even had time for a mock battle before being sent out among the cannibals. The slaves handled themselves admirably. Very few, just fifteen slaves, were killed and eaten outright. Only ten were killed and eaten when they reached the river. That was when things did not go according to Arslik Owen's plans. Twenty-one slaves with jars of water took off for the hills. Only eight returned to the castle, largely because they were blocked by the cannibal Nords. It was a larger percentage than he had anticipated surviving, but Arslik Owen felt righteous indignation at the paucity of loyalty. Are you absolutely certain you wouldn't rather flee? He hollered from the battlements. Finally, he allowed the survivors in. Three had been killed waiting for the gate to open. 
Two more died almost upon stepping into the courtyard. One was delirious, walking around in circles, laughing and dancing before suddenly collapsing. That meant five jars of water for four people, the two surviving slaves, Arzak Owen and Gorkis. As the lord of the manor, Arzak Owen took the extra jar, but he was democratic with the others. You're quite correct, frowned Gerz. This story is getting more and more appalling. Oh, just wait, smiled Halgard. The next morning, Halgard continued, Arzak Owen awoke to a perfectly still and quiet stronghold. There was no murmuring in the corridors, no sound of hard labor in the courtyard. He dressed and surveyed the scene. It appeared that the fortress was utterly deserted. Arzak Owen walked down to the armorer's quarters, but the door was locked. Open up, said Arzak Owen patiently. We need to speak. Thirty out of fifty-four slaves successfully made it to the river and gathered water. Admittedly, some then fled, and a couple didn't survive because I needed to correct their fickleness. But mathematically, that's a fifty-five percent survival rate. If you and I and the two remaining slaves made the next run to the river, we too should survive. Zillian and Gello left last night with their armor, cried Gorketh through the door. Who are Zillian and Gello? The two remaining slaves. They don't remain any more. Well, that's vexing, said Arzak Owen. Still, we must continue on. Mathematically, I, I heard something last night, whimpered Gorketh in a funny voice. Like footsteps, only different. And they were moving through the walls. And there were voices, too. They sounded strange. Like they couldn't move their jaws very well. But I knew one. Arzak Owen sighed, humoring his poor armor. And who was it? Ponick. And who is Ponick? One of the slaves that died when the Nords poisoned our water. One of the many, many slaves that died and we made use of. He was always a nice, uncomplaining fellow. That's why I noticed his voice above all the others. Gorkith began to sob. I understood what he was saying. Which was what? Asked Arzlag Owen with a sigh. Give me back my bones! Gorkith's voice shrieked. There was silence for a moment, and then more hysterical sobbing. Oh, I saw that coming, laughed Ziomara. There was nothing more to be done with the armor for the time being, said Halgard, a trifle annoyed at the regular interruptions. So Arzlik Owen stripped one of the dead slaves of his suit of bone mold and put it on. He practiced in the courtyard, impressing himself with his natural comfort with medium-weight armor. For hours, he boxed, fainted, dodged, sprinted, skipped, jumped, and generally cavorted about. When he felt tired, he retired to the shade and took a nap. The sound of the king's trumpet woke him with a start. Night had fallen, and for a moment he thought he had been dreaming. Then the alarm sounded again, far in the distance, but clear. Arzlik Owen leapt to his feet and ran to the ramparts. Several miles away, he could see the emissaries and their vast and well-armed escort approaching. They were there early! The cannibal Nords below looked at one another with consternation. Savages they might be, but they knew when a superior force was approaching. Arzlik Owen joyously dashed down the stairs to Gorkleth's chamber. The door was still locked. He beat on it, cajoling, demanding, threatening. Finally, he found a key, one of the few scraps of metal that had not been smelted days before. Gorkleth appeared to be sleeping, but as Arzlik Owen approached, he noticed that the armorer's mouth and eyes were wide open, and his arms were folded unnaturally behind his back. On closer inspection, the armorer was obviously dead. What was more, his face and whole body were sunken, like an empty pig's bladder. Something moved through the walls, like a footfall only squishy. Arzlik Owen expertly and gracefully turned to face it, completely in balance. At first, it seemed like nothing more than a bubble expanding through one of the cracks in the stone. As more of the flesh-colored, gelatinous matter emerged, it more clearly resembled part of a face, a flaccid, almost shapeless face with a low brow and a slack, toothless jaw. The rest of the body oozed out of the crack, a soft bag of muscle and blood. 
Behind Arslik Owen and to the other side, there was more movement, more slaves walling up through the cracks in the stone. They were all around him, reaching out. Give us, moaned Ponick, his tongue rolling about his hanging jaw. Give us back our bones. Arslik Owen began to rip off his bone mold, throwing it to the floor. A hundred figures, more, pooled into the small chamber. That's not enough. The cannibals had cleared away by the time the king's emissaries arrived at Arslik Owen's gates. They had not been looking forward to this visit. It was best, they thought philosophically, to begin with the worst of the king's noblemen, so to end their trip well. They sounded the alarm once again, but the gates did not open. There was no sound from Arslik Owen's stronghold. It took a few hours to gain access. If the emissaries had not brought a professional acrobat with them for entertainment, it might have taken longer. The place seemed to be abandoned. They searched every room, until finally they came to the armorers. There they found the master of the manor, folded neatly, legs behind his head, arms behind the legs, like a fine gown, not a bone in his body. The first part of your story was complete nonsense, cried Ziomara, but now it doesn't hold true on any level. How could bone mold be made again if the armorer who invented it died before he could tell anyone how he did it? I said that this was the first time it was created, not the first time people learned the craft. And when did someone first teach someone else this craft? asked Geras. That, my friends, replied Halgard with a sinister smile, is a tale for another night.